preacher, I never go any place I feel more inadequate than when I come to this meeting. Wonderful, tremendous spirit of what is happening here, wonderful reports I've heard. I love the Van Geldrens, I love this conference, I love what the Lord is doing. And I want you to open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11, if you would, please. I'm going to do something really different than what I normally do. I usually say nothing about the materials the preacher lets me put on the table till the service is done. But we're going from here into a time of prayer, and I just had the impression that it would please the Lord if we didn't interrupt that by talking about books. And so I'll give you the commercial first, all right? I hope you'll go by the table. It's right where the missions center is, and there are six different books the Lord has allowed me to have put into print that I believe would be a help to you. Living in an imperfect world deals with problems everybody's going to face. Discouragement, disillusionment, insecurity. And there are Bible answers to those. Depression. Did you know David was depressed? Well, if you're right with God, you'll never be depressed. Well, David didn't get the memo. And he said, why art thou cast down, O my soul? He said, I'm so troubled I cannot speak. But the answers are in the Word of God as well. And I promise to give you help. A lot of my preacher friends keep some of these and give them to people when they need counsel. Many times I've had people with tears in their eyes tell me they struggled with something for years. They read the book. They did what the Bible said. And God gave them the victory. And then I hope you get the book Crunch Time Facing the Crises of Life. It's a little more specific. It talks about grief and temptation and what do you do when your children leave home or when they become teenagers. That's always fun, isn't it? Mark Twain said, when a child became a teenager, you should put them in a box and just leave a hole to give them food and water. He said, when they turn 17, you should plug up the hole. (laughs) A lot in this book on the subject of money. The book, The Pulling Down of Strongholds, being used in many different places, it deals with overcoming any temptation of the flesh. Now, we think booze is my stronghold, drugs are my stronghold. But the Bible says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And then it says casting down imaginations, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. The stronghold is not the sin. It is the thought process behind it. Well, I can quit any time I want. Well, my sin's no worse than anybody else's. Well, one time won't hurt. Uh, Brother Currington, who founded the RU Recovery Ministry, ordered several hundred of these to help his students. We use it in our RU ministry. There are just two copies of this that I have with me. Uh, more are coming in, probably arriving today uh, at our church. And you can order them. If you, if you pay the regular price here, I'll mail everything to you and pay the postage if I run out of anything. And it'll save you money from getting it from the publisher or our website. But we're living in really bad times. Gay marriage, abortion, a crazy presidential race, um, just terrible things that are becoming normative in our culture. But did you know God's people have lived through worse? <laughs> and he helped them. And it's okay. <laughs> I'm not excited about either of the front runners in our presidential campaign right now. But I do know it doesn't change our job a bit. And it doesn't change the availability of God's power one bit. And we're not dependent on a political system. This book tells you how God's helped his people through difficult times. Uh, things that aren't so. There's a dozen things in this book we think we know that we've heard for years. But they really aren't in the Bible. Like, uh, uh, well, you know, there's no difference between big sin and little sin. All sin's the same with God. Really? So jaywalking and murder? I'd rather be a jaywalker at the judgment seat. Well, if you're right, how come it says in Psalm 19 that you have to watch out for the great transgression? I know you just had lunch and it's the end of the week. I don't want to get real technical, but great kind of means big. 
Transgression is another word for sin. All right. So the Bible talks about big sins. Talk about some sins that are not unto death, some that are unto death. Doesn't chapter. I love the chapter on is it legalistic to have standards? Well, we always say, well, man looks on the outward appearance, God looks on the heart. Okay. Does the Bible say that? Yeah, it does. <laughs> it's not a trick question. Okay. I, I, it's after lunch. It's, a, it's not a reflection on the biblical knowledge of the crowd, just the time of day. All right. <laughs> Of whom does the Bible say that? Anybody know? That's all David. It's actually about Eliab. Samuel was sent to the house of Jesse and he knew one of his sons would be the next king of Israel, succeeding Saul, but God didn't tell him which one. And Jesse said, it's got to be Eliab, got to be my firstborn. And when he came out, Samuel said in his heart, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. And God said, not so fast. Don't look at his countenance or the height of his stature because I've rejected him for Man, God seeth not as man seeth. Man, look at the outward appearance. God, look at the heart. Here's the deal. The Neos twist that verse exactly backwards. Eliab was not an example of a man who had a good heart, but looked bad on the outside. He was a man who looked so good on the outside, both his dad and the man of God thought he could be the next king of Israel. But he had a bad heart. Read the next chapter. Read what he said when David wanted to fight Goliath. God never says, I don't care what you look like on the outside. That's all most people see of us. But he does say it's not enough to be right on the outside. You've got to be right on the inside too. A dozen chapters like that. And then the book, A More Sure Word, Which Bible Can You Trust? Now, the argument of this book is that the King James Bible is the right Bible for English-speaking people to use because it is a literal translation of the correct Greek and Hebrew manuscripts. Uh, my view is if you believe what the Bible says about itself, you'll end up taking a TR position. Now, it's... A little different in some of those books. There are no swear words in it. We don't call anybody names. It's not mean. If you want a mean, sarcastic book about the King James Bible, there's plenty of those available. Uh, this is written so you could give it to people on the other side. You may be on the other side. You may be a good, sincere person and have a different view. You can at least read this and you won't get mad. It tries to lay it out simply and clearly. i got a friend named Brian Treadway who's real, real smart. He scored the highest anybody ever scored taking the test to go in the Army in the state of Oklahoma. His great uncle was the governor of Oklahoma. But the Treadway said, I've got 40 or 50 books in my library in the King James Bible. I could get rid of all of them and keep this one and I'd be okay. I would never say that, but I'm really happy to quote Brian Treadway. <laughs> It's in its fourth printing. We print one copy at a time. And this is its... Uh... <laughs> one of the things Brother Chapel had them do when they printed it as driving together is if there was a term you wouldn't understand or a name you might not recognize, they defined or explained it right on the page where it occurs. I know there's a glossary at the back, but at my age, by the time you get to the glossary, you forgot what you are reading about earlier... <laughs> And then there's some DVDs of sermons. They have 100 sermons, uh, most of them that I've preached at our church in a particular year. Uh, any item on the table is 15, and even though the DVD says $50, any two items are 25, five or more, 10 each. We take cash. Yep, you're tapped out, aren't you? Checks, credit cards, small children, wedding rings. <laughs> we, do, we do not, we no longer take husbands. We, we, uh, <laughs> We used to take them, but we found out what you ladies have known for a long time. Uh, first of all, once you get them, you can't do anything with them. And besides that, nobody else wants yours either. Uh, 
that out of the way, let me let me say how deeply appreciative I am of what's. I got in just in time. I flew all night home on Tuesday and worked and preached on Wednesday, and I got up early this morning to come here and got in just in time to get all of Brother Gilmore's session. Wonderful session, tremendous, and I appreciate what he said. Agree with it. Some of it may seem innovative, but that's probably because we've been doing it an unscriptural way for so long. So uh, people say I'm never changing. A guy wrote me a letter once. He said, Brother Lett, you and I are both too old to change. And I wrote back. I said, I hope not. (laughs) I could never get any better then. I'm always willing to change if I see from the Bible that I was wrong. And I appreciate it so much. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32. What shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah and of David also and Samuel and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms wrought righteousness, obtained promises, and stopped the mouths of lions. Heavenly Father, please empower me by your spirit and guide me to say exactly what you want said. Lord, help me not to leave out anything that you want mentioned or to put anything you don't want there. Lord, as best I know, I yield to you and I'm open to whatever you have me to say or do. Use this to help us to understand how you want us to pray, how you want us to relate to you, and how you want to provide for us. Thank you for the great faith that is evident in this place and that is being nurtured in this conference. And would you use this time, at least a small step, towards us believing you like you want us to. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you'll look at your book, you'll find that Brother Gilmore's outline was 16 and a half pages long, and mine is two and a half pages long, because <laughs> he's way smarter than I am. My outlines are usually all one side of a piece of paper, handwritten, or a side and a half. My dad looked at one of my outlines one day, and he said, son, it would take me three hours to preach that. My dad's outlines were three words on the back of an envelope. So uh, it would take my dad a year and a half to preach your outline, I think, really go more. That's a strange phrase, obtaining promises. We didn't have this kind of discussion, but supposing that Brother Van Geldren called me up and he said, Brother Willett, I'd like to come and speak at our victory conference, bend the knee, and he said, uh, and if you'll come, I'll get a motel room for you and I'll pay for your plane ticket. We didn't talk about that, but supposing he said that. And then supposing I called him up a day later and said, Brother Van Geldren, you're going to pay that plane ticket, aren't you? You have a motel room. I don't want to sleep in a pews. I sure don't want to sleep in a boy's dorm. <laughs> All right, the pew's not looking so bad. <laughs> i got to be sure I obtain that promise. Uh, I, I want you to write that down, won't you? Let's have it notarized. What do you have to do to obtain a promise? That's a strange phrase. Interesting. When the Bible tells us something in the New Testament, it didn't tell us in the Old Testament. Do you know that Abraham offered his son Isaac willingly, placed him on the altar. God stayed his hand and he didn't plunge the knife into his chest. But he offered his son on the altar. And we learn from the book of Hebrews that it was because he believed that God was able to raise him up from the dead. But you don't find that in the book of Genesis. We found it out later on. We did not know that at first. We found it out in the New Testament. 
There's a real interesting indication about the life of Elijah in the book of James that's not in the Old Testament story. The Bible says that Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not, but the space of three and a half years. Well, in the Old Testament story, you never hear a thing about Elijah until he shows up in front of the king. Elijah the Tishbite. I read one Bible commentator said, we don't even know where Tishbe is. Don't know anything about Elijah. And he says, thus said the Lord, it shall not rain for these years except by my word. But James tells us the reason he did that was he prayed earnestly. And so here's what we can see and in a little degree infer from that. We would have every reason to believe that Elijah knew God's promises. Now I won't take time to go to the passages anytime I don't use speaking will be spent in prayer and that'd be a good thing but you can look up Deuteronomy 11 14 through 17 and 28 15 and 24 and God said if you obey me I'm going to bless you but if you don't obey me if you turn from me what's going to happen is I'm among other things I'm not going to let it rain and there'll be a drought and as a result of the drought there will be a famine So Elijah knew the word of God we believe knew the promise he had a perception he was aware And then he asked God to fulfill the promise. God, you said that if people turned from you, it wouldn't rain. Now, God, they're worshiping Baal, and they're worshiping prophets of the groves, and they're halting between two opinions and trying to act like they're your children and try to get involved in idol worship at the same time. Lord, you said you wouldn't let it rain, but it's raining, Lord. And so he prayed, he asked And then at some point, Elijah became convinced that God would answer the prayer. Because he didn't walk in and say, hey, I'm I'm praying it won't rain. No, he just said, it's not going to rain. In fact, he said, God said, it's not going to rain. And it won't rain until I say it's going to rain. So he became persuaded or he became assured. And those are the little words you can put in under the introduction for the outline if you'd like to. He knew the promise. He asked God to fulfill the promise. He became convinced God would fulfill it. A preacher friend of mine told of a young man who was lost. His mother was praying for him, had prayed earnestly. He was playing football, kind of a pickup football game one afternoon. And he said he got under such deep conviction and he had this piercing thought that if he didn't get saved right away, he was going to die. And he put down the football and he went back into his home and he prayed and he asked God to save him. And he decided he's going to go tell his mother in person about it. And she'd been so burdened for him and so concerned about his soul and so earnest about it. And when he finally got there, it was three or four days later. And, and she said, well, hello, son, come on in. He said, mama, I got something to tell you. She, he said, mama, I got saved. She said, that's wonderful, son. I'm so glad. He said, mama, I thought you'd be excited. Well, she said, you know, about three days ago, I was praying and the Lord persuaded me the prayer was going to be answered. She says, son, I'm sorry not to be excited, but I've already been rejoicing about it for three days. <laughs> the, uh, the old timers called that praying through. We call it, we don't call it anything, we don't believe in it. <laughs> so here's the outline. 
The principle, the principle expressed, several simple statements. Number one, or letter A in your outline, all God's promises are true. All the promises of God are in Him, yea and amen. Letter B, some of God's promises are conditional. If you seek, then you'll find. If you ask, uh, then you get an answer. If you knock, the door will be opened. If you give, then it'll be given unto you. If you go forth weeping, bearing precious seed, then you'll come back rejoicing, bringing your sheaves with you. There's a condition to the promise. Let her see God's conditional promises won't become true for us until we access them by faith. Interesting verse in the book of Romans, chapter 5. And verse 2. Now the Bible tells us that the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men. But the Bible says that by whom, verse 2 of Romans 5, we have access by faith unto this grace. Wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So God's conditional promises for us will not become true for us until we access them by prayer. Now this is a little strange. If God's going to give it to you, why didn't he just give it to you? We give gifts to each other at Christmas at our house. I, I don't know if you all do that or not, but we do. And uh, what we make our children do is we make, them, we make them come and say, Daddy, may I please have this gift? Oh, please, Daddy, might I have that? We, after about 30 minutes, if they're really earnest and really sincere, they say, okay, you, you can have the gift. Right? We don't do that. I give away money sometimes. My secretary does some things for me that are of a personal nature. And I told her when she came in, I'd give her a little money every once in a while so that when she had to work extra to do those, I was covering her salary. And, and uh, she's a, a lady, young lady. And so whenever I pull out a $20 bill and say, here, Jackie, let me give you this, uh, she'll, she'll say, no, you don't have to do that. And, and she'll say things like this, are you sure? <laughs> Women always say that, are you sure? <laughs> Men are always sure. We're not always right, but we're always <laughs> sure. Why did God do that? I'm gonna, I want you to think about that. If God's going to supply all my needs according to his riches and glory, why didn't he just do it? Why does he want me to pray for them? If God desires that we have a revived Christian life, then why didn't he just do that? If God wants to see to it that our church is growing, he could convict people. and touch. I mean, he didn't have any human instrumentality involved in the conversion of the Apostle Paul. Saw a light, heard a voice. Who art thou, Lord? I'm Jesus, whom thou persecutest. People helped him grow afterwards, but I mean, Paul, Paul was not under conviction until he met the Lord. God's conditional promises won't become true for us till we access them by faith. All God's promises are valid reasons for our prayer. Letter E, it glorifies God when His promise is fulfilled after our prayer. There's a strange story in the Bible. The Lord Jesus The Bible says he went from Galilee into the coasts of Tyre and Sidon. It's in Matthew chapter 15, if you want to look there. And there came a woman from that coast. And she said, Lord, have mercy on me, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. 
And the Bible says, and he answered her not a word. Is that nice? Is that what you would do? Do you come by the table and purchase several hundred dollars of my materials? I'm detecting a lack of faith. <laughs> you say, Brother Ouellette, thanks for coming, and I don't say anything. And you say, what time you got to leave tomorrow? I don't say anything. I say, I appreciated that session. I don't say anything. What would you say? What a nice guy. He's so humble, he didn't think he was worthy to speak to someone of my stature. You'd say, what a jerk. First class, double-barreled, triple-stitched jerk. I thanked him for coming. I tried to make conversation. I bought a bunch of his stuff. I even lied and told him I liked his session, and he wouldn't even talk to me. That's what Jesus did. And then the disciples got in the act, and they said, Lord, send her away, for she crieth after us. That was one of the disciples' favorite ministries, the send them away ministry. So they said in Mark chapter 6, where they're going to have a day off, and the crowd came, and Jesus taught them all day, and they said, Lord, this is a desert place. Remember, we're supposed to be alone here in the time. Our time together is now far past. Send them away. Then they go into the villages and country roundabout and buy meat. But the Gilmore reference that the Lord said, you give them something to eat. But uh, that was, send them away. Get them out of here. She crieth after us. You know, after 41 years almost at the same church, I think I have some sympathy to occasional moments of the send them away ministry syndrome. My dad's 88, still teaches in adult Sunday school class, wins people to Christ regularly. Dad said he, he, he's often felt called to the uninhabited fields of the world. <laughs> so then the Lord answers and he says, um, I'm not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I can't help you, lady. You're not Jewish. Is that nice? Do we give help to people on the basis of their ethnicity? I thought in Christ there's neither Greek nor Jew, bond nor free, barbarian nor Scythian, circumcision or uncircumcision, but Christ was all and in all. The Bible says, but she worshipped him. Well, if I'd have been her, I'd been ready to check out about that. She knew who he was. She called him Lord. She knew he was the master. She called him thou son of David. She knew he was the Messiah. But I think if I'd been her, I'd been thinking, ah, those stories I heard probably aren't true. Probably need to just get out of here about now. And then he said to her, after she worshipped, it is not meet to take the children's bread and cast it to dogs. It's not really nice to call somebody a dog now. The new student comes into the college here, and one of the young men says, Hey, did you see this new girl? She's such and such a place. This is her name. So he said, What's she like? They say, Oh, man, she is a dog. <laughs> Their next response would be, Oh, can you introduce me? <laughs> but it's really bad in Bible times to call somebody a dog. It's about the worst thing you could imagine. And you know what she did? She said, Truth, Lord. You're right, I'm a dog. But if you want to use that analogy, the dogs get some crumbs from their master's table. Lord, I'm not asking to be seated at the table. I'm not asking to be treated with any special degree of kindness or grace. I'd be happy if I get a few crumbs from your table. And then he said, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Now, 
I've heard people preach on that, and they say, well, the Lord was not intending to help her. His ministry had not yet uh, extended to the Gentiles, and it wasn't time for him to do that, but she was so much uh, you know, in, in treating him and so insistent that he changed his mind. Really? People, people say the dumbest things about God. Thou thoughtest I was altogether such in one as thyself. They, they say, God's a lot more like you than you realize. No. We're a little bit like him. We're made in his image. But he, his ways and his thoughts are far higher than ours. And they say, uh, one guy told me one time, Jesus didn't know who he was when he was a little boy until Mary and Joseph told him. Well, that'd be an interesting conversation. I used a real obscure verse on him. I said, no, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. The Calvinists argue they have a, different brands of Calvinism. Some are infralapsarianists, and some are sublapsarianists, and some are supralapsarianists. And it's a silly deal. It all has to do with the order in which they think God gave his decrees. Did he first decree man's reprobation or salvation? And it's all silly. There's no order with God. God has always known everything. So God always knew what he was going to do in salvation. And by the way, Calvinists are wrong on a number of other things as well. But if Jesus knew he was going to help this lady from the moment that she saw him, why did he make her go through all that? Lord, have mercy on me. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. Go thy way, that faith hath made thee whole. Why, wouldn't that have been the way you'd write this story? Why did he let the disciples ask for her to be sent away? Why did he ignore her at first? Why, why did he say to her, you know, I'm, I'm here to help the Jews, not the Gentiles. And It's not right to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. I don't know all of the reasons. But I do know this, when I pray for something for a long time, it helps my Christian life. And when it comes, I get way more excited about it. And God gets more glory about it. I I have an idea there's more praise going on to God in the Falls Baptist Church about that 425,000 or whatever it is, piece of dollar piece of property that, that you've been praying for for years than it would have been if somebody just given it to you right when you bought the land at the beginning and you'd had it for years and years. And so it glorifies God when his promise is fulfilled after our prayer. Let me give you some Bible examples of this. Look to the book of First Chronicles, if you don't mind. See, we, we think maybe it would be a lack of faith to pray for what God has already promised. We should just trust him for it. But the Bible is replete with examples to the opposite. The Bible says, It shall come to pass, verse 11, First Chronicles 17, When thy days be extemired, David, that thou must go to be of thy fathers, that I will raise up thy seed after thee, which shall be of thy sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build an house, and I will establish his throne forever. I'll be his father. He shall be my son. I'll not take my mercy away from him as I took it away from him that was before thee. Great promise. Look at verse 23. Therefore now... David prays, Lord, let the thing that thou hast spoken concerning thy servant and concerning of his house be established forever and do as thou hast said. Please pay for that plane ticket. <laughs> Please give me that motel room. Verse 27. 
Now therefore let it please thee to bless the house of thy servant, that it may be before thee forever, for thou blessest, O Lord, and it shall be blessed forever. God said, I'm going to do this. And David prayed for God to do what he promised. Daniel. Daniel chapter 9. Daniel's in captivity, you know that. Daniel is reading the writings of Jeremiah the prophet. Verse 2, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Wow, 70 years and it's done. Okay, I'm going to pack, we're leaving. That's not what he said. And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplication with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession. God promised, but he prayed. You see, the Lord talked about that. He said in verse 10 of Jeremiah 29, Thus saith the Lord, after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I'll visit you and perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then shall ye call on me. And ye shall go and pray unto me. And I will hearken unto you. And ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your hearts. It wasn't just the 70 years. It wasn't just a matter of the calendar. It was a matter of the intercession. It was a matter of prayer. It was a matter of obtaining the promise. The Lord Jesus is dealing with Peter in John 21. I like Peter He had faults. I do too. Peter, man, he was rash and impulsive and he was vain. He thought he was the best Christian in the world. You know that? He said, Lord, of all men forsake thee, I'll never forsake thee. I'm the last one. I'm the best. Peter gets right with God after he's disgraced and embarrassed himself. And the Lord says, feed my sheep. And do you love me? Do that. And then the Lord says to Peter, when you were young, you girded yourself and you walked wherever you wanted to go. But when you're old, they're going to take you someplace that you wouldn't want to go. Thus spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify Christ. And you know what Peter said? Well, what about John? (laughs) Even though Peter had been revived and was right with God, he still was Peter. (laughs) He still had some of the same tendencies. And the Lord Jesus said, well, if I will that he should tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. He really says, none of your business. I'll do with John what I want to do with John, and you just do what you're supposed to do. So now Peter's in jail. Not long after that. He's not by any means old yet. He lives a long time after the time we read about him in Acts chapter 12. And Peter's in jail. And you know what they did? Oh, they said, Peter, be fine. God said he won't die till he's an old man. He's young now. I know Herod wants to kill him. He's already killed James. And he'd like to kill Peter. He sees it pleases the people. But we don't have to worry about it because God promised he'd live to be an old man. No, they did. They prayed. Brother Flanders helped us, as he's helped so many of us, on the matter of corporate prayer. Instructed us in that. He uh, he told us about him some wonderful things. I mean, his his key lessons to us, uh, I talked about, but he said, pray loud, pray short, pray more than once. 
And I was a little uneasy about the idea of women praying out loud when men were there. I don't know why. I just wasn't brought up that way. Women didn't lead in prayer. Men led in prayer. And so, I was, as I have been so often, I was forced to study the Bible. <laughs> I can't prove she prayed, but you know, there's at least one woman at the prayer meeting. That was Rhoda. <laughs> and a young lady, she, she was there. I get the whole church was gathered together for prayer. And that kind of settled it for me. And when Peter came to the door, she, she said, hey, Peter's here. They said, hush, we're praying for Peter. You're interrupting us. Don't disturb us now. There was a promise, a clear promise, but they still prayed for it to be fulfilled. My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Is that what it says? Now, the context of there, by the way, is a church that was generous. A church that had been caring for God's servant. You helped us when nobody else did, even when we were in Thessalonica. Once and again, you ministered unto our wants. You helped us, and, and you've done well that you remembered us. And I appreciate that. Paul commends him for that. And he says, God's going to take care of you because you've taken care of us. My God shall supply all your needs. So how come when the Lord Jesus taught us to pray? The Lord teaches us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. He said we should pray, give us this day our daily bread. Wow. I don't think I do that. I don't think you do that. I thank God for the food I eat. My wife's a frugal person. That's a great blessing. It's hard for me to get my wife spend money on herself. Now, comes to the grandkids, she makes Congress look conservative. We have, I, I, we're not preppers, but we're as close as you can be to it accidentally. <laughs> we have food in the refrigerator that's years old. <laughs> we have food in the freezer that, and she actually cleaned some of that out a little bit more lately. Our, my mother-in-law came to live with us, and so we had to consolidate two homes into one, and she had to change some things. But we got a lot of food. I don't pray, for my, but God wants me to. Now, I pray for power daily, and I pray for wisdom daily, and I pray for God to help me and guide me and use me, but he said, pray for your food every day. But he said, I'm going to supply all your needs. But I still want you to ask me. He said in the book of James, let no man say when he is tempted, I'm tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. God never tempts us, but the Lord Jesus said we should pray, lead us not into temptation. Wasn't that interesting? You know, I'm going to get a little ahead of myself here, but really what the Bible is telling us is God wants to live, us to live a life of perpetual dependency and perpetual communication and a continual awareness that nothing we do is going to matter a bit unless He is empowering it, unless He is in it, unless we are walking in and empowered by the Spirit of God. Hey, Esther, you need to go talk to the king. He's going to kill all the Jews. Oh, Mordecai, I don't think I can do that. You see, the king's got this rule that you can't walk into his presence uninvited. 
I know I'm his wife, uh, but if you walk in and he doesn't hold out a golden scepter, then you automatically die. There's no trial, there's no sentence even pronounced. You just die if you walk in without being invited and he doesn't hold out the golden scepter. And he hadn't called for me for 30 days. Some of you ladies get concerned if you haven't heard from your husband for 30 minutes. 30 days. Esther's not asked to your husband. And Mordecai says, well, don't think you're going to escape the judgment that will come on all the Jews. And don't think uh, that, that you'll be different than the rest of us. And he says, who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Why, Esther, he said, I've got an idea that the very reason God let you become the queen was for this incident. Right now, why do you think you're here? Why do you think a Jewish maiden was chosen to be the wife of this pagan king? Why do you think God put you with access to the most powerful man in the world? Why do you think you're here? One of the things special about you, God wants to use you to be the instrument to bring deliverance to his people. And Esther said, okay, if that's what you think, I'll go do it. No, she said, I'll do it, but you pray. You pray. Daniel said, I'll, uh, I'll go talk to the king. But he said, you guys pray and get our help. Now, I'm not an expert in the Greek language. I've safely recovered from the ill effects of any Greek that I took when I was in school. But they tell me when... The Bible says, ask and you shall receive and seek and you shall find and knock and the door shall be opened on you. They tell me that there's a tense in the Greek language that we don't have an exact parallel for in our English language. And they say it is a continual tense. And they say that the idea is not just ask one time, look for a little bit, knock be done is to keep on asking and to keep on seeking and to keep on knocking and I think they're probably right because in that same passage where it's in Luke the Lord Jesus tells the story of the importunate friend he comes to a friend at midnight and you need to understand midnight in the Bible was not when the news was done it was the middle of the night they went to bed about dark they got up about daylight and they had mostly one-room houses. That's why Mary and Martha's place was such a good place for the Lord Jesus to go because they had an upper room. They had an extra room on their house. So mom and dad and all the children in the same room in bed. And they says, friend, lend me three loaves. A friend of mine has come to me in his journey and I have nothing to give him. He said, don't bother me, man. It's midnight. I'll see you tomorrow. No, he said, I got to have it right now. He says, how's she going to wake everybody up? No, I got to have it right now. And the Bible says, I tell you, not because he was his friend, but because of his importunity he gave unto him. So the Lord tells us very clearly that he really wants to answer our, our request. He really wants to meet our needs. He really wants to do great and mighty things. He really wants to unleash his power and do a marvelous work. But it will not happen unless we pray. Pray in faith. Pray fervently. And pray with fortitude. So... Let's look at a little bit of the purpose. main reason we do it that way is because that's the way God wants it. second reason we do it that way is because it reminds us of our dependence on God. I don't know about you, but the hardest thing I have to do in my Christian life is to remember to walk in and rely upon the Holy Spirit. I knew how to lead people to Christ before I knew how to read. My dad took a little book called Life's Greatest Question by Ace Edwards. had pictures in it, and he showed me what to say with what picture. And when I was four years old, I could and did give the gospel to people. 
Man, I witness people all the time. And the Lord lets me win people to Christ sometimes in hotels and airports and fast food restaurants, all kinds of places. And I'll think like this, Brother Flanders, you would never do this, but I'll think, oh, this guy's going to get saved. It's going good. He's paying attention. Oh, this would be a great testimony. This would be a good sermon illustration. And I know what to say. I know the verses. I know a lot of different ways to give the gospel. One of my men's a financial planner. He's been my soul winning partner for some time. And, and he says, Pastor, every time you do it, it's a little bit different. I know how to do that. And it's like the Lord says to me about a third of the way through some of those presentations of the gospel. Uh, you want to do this one by yourself? Would you like some help? And I say, Lord, I'm sorry. It's so, I am so easily moved to self-reliance. When I was in college, I got a call slip from the chairman of the music department. That's when you had to go see somebody. And I had regularly offended the dean of men and my dormitory supervisor. I did not know what I'd done to get in trouble with the chairman of the music department, Gail Gingry. So I went to see him and he said, uh, you've been recommended to be in a choir. I said, oh, wow. He said, sing this. And then he said, you sing this while I sing that. And then he said, see how high you can go, how low you can go. And he said, you want to be in the choir? I said, okay. Later on, he said, you ought to take voice lessons. I said, all right. And the first song he ever taught me to sing, we, the, the voice lessons were very negative at Bob Jones. The, the first lessons were no, no, a lot of negative stuff. But finally, I got to where I could sing a song. And I sang, he taught me to sing, no one ever cared for me like Jesus. Years went by. I'd been an assistant for two years, came to Bridgeport in 1975. This is probably about the early 80s, and I was on the music schedules. my turn to sing. And so I thought, well, I'll sing No One Ever Cared For Me Like Jesus. And I sat down with Mrs. Powell, and, and uh, or she sat down at the piano, and I sang, and she played, and we ran through, and it was fine. I got up to sing, and, and I wasn't worried about it. I wasn't vain about it. I wasn't thinking, wow, I'm going to knock their socks off. They'll be impressed with me. I, I was just, it was gonna, I'm supposed to sing. I was going to sing. I knew what the song, I knew what I was doing. So I got up and I sang, I would love to tell you what I think of Jesus. <laughs> My mind went completely blank. Totally. Irretrievably, I thought, well, that's right. I'll make up the words to this verse. And then I'll catch it on the chorus. Self-reliance. He's so wonderful and kind and good and true. He is gracious and his love is everlasting. What he's done for me, I know he'll do for you. I'm home free now. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. I made up the verse. I made up the second verse. I made up the chorus both times. Now... My problem was not vanity. I'm not saying I don't have that problem. My problem was not pride. I certainly can struggle with that. My problem was just, I can do this. So God wants me praying all the time. You know what to say to your children when they mess up, don't you? You know the truth. You can tell them. Except, you know, children are in heritage of the Lord. They'll be like arrows in the hand of a mighty man. That means they go whichever way they're pointed. And you won't ever know what little thing may make a big impression on them. 
And you won't say the little things you're supposed to unless you're relying on the Lord. It reminds us of our dependence on God. It keeps us close to God. But to give more reference, the feeding of the 5,000, 5,000 men plus women and children. So I want you to imagine that this was not a catered meal. They didn't have any tables up there or anything. And the Lord Jesus made the disciples feed all of those people. Why, if there were just 5,000, that means that each of them had to take bread to like 400 and some people. And if there are 20,000, as some Bible commentators think, there might have been a woman for every man, a child for every adult, then they might have had to go to 1,600 people or more. Well, how would they carry that much food? No, you know they could carry a little bit in their arms. And you know what I believe they had to do? The only thing that makes sense to me, they went and gave some food and they had to go back to Jesus and get some more. <laughs> and then they went and gave that food away and had to go back to him and get some more. Boy, it's really good for me to be aware of my weakness. It's really good for me to be aware of my flaws and my errors. It's really good for me to be aware of my absolute inadequacy. It keeps me close to God. Makes me more aware of his provision. I want you to go down to Zarephath. I've commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. Hey, would you get me a drink? Well, sure, she says. Oh, uh, by the way, give me a little something to eat first. Well, I can't do that. I've got a little bit of meal and a barrel, a little oil and a cruise. I'm going to get two sticks. That's all it will take to make enough fire to cook the little bit of food that I have. And my son and I are going to eat this last little bit of food, and then we're going to die. And in a statement that would have embarrassed Paul Crouch or Benny Hinn, (laughs) the man of God said, do as thou hast said, but make me a little cake thereof first. (laughs) Wow, what a guy. And then he said this, the barrel of meal shall not waste, and the cruise of oil fail until the day that God sendeth rain on the earth. So every day there is just a little bit left. (laughs) Every day there was just enough for that day. God could have filled the barrel up. He could have filled the cruise up. Uh, he could have, he, but you know what happens to people like that? They say, like the man said in the story Jesus told, Soul, take thine ease. Thou hast much good laid up for many days. Eat, drink, and be merry. Pull down your barns and build bigger and have a good time. No. Makes me more aware of his provision. Uh, little things encourage us. I came home on the red eye. On Tuesday night from preaching in Oregon, I got to the airport and I slept a little on the plane, but I certainly didn't have a regular night's sleep. And I, uh, I went out to my car and there was a little pathway shovel. It snowed about 12 inches. And there was a little pathway shovel right to my door. I thought, well, that's really nice. I've never known him to do that at the airport before. And I was pretty tired and not terribly with it. I found myself singing the wrong words on the songs a moment ago, so if I'm saying something backwards here, forgive me. I just have a bad case of listexia. <laughs> and I had started the car by the remote starter, put my bags in the back, and, and I went to put the key in, and I thought, wow, the windshield's clear, cool. 
And I was reaching over to grab the scraper, and, and I looked, and the whole car was clean. <laughs> We'd had a revival in the school for a couple of days. Our former youth pastor came back to preach. My principal dropped him off at the airport. He drove around the whole airport till he found my car. And then he cleaned it off. Our driveways, our house is 300 feet back from the road. Driveway's a little longer than that because it curves some. And uh, I've got a Polaris Ranger with a blade on it. And I was going to go plow the driveway so we could get in and out. And I thought, well, I wonder if I'll even make it up there. And my Buick Enclave has front-wheel drive. And I have all-wheel drive. And my wife had driven the Yukon. We got an old four-wheel drive Yukon. And she drove it up and down a couple of times. I thought, well, I'll probably make it. And I got there. And my son-in-law had come over and he plowed out most of the driveway. Well, that's, that, that, that's a blessing. Those are good things God did for me. Maybe, maybe a little fresher and a little less tired and uh, a little more aware of his daily provisions for me. So many things that God does and so many things he wants to do we don't ever get because we don't ask him for. And it gives God more glory. So here's a real simple plan explained based on these things we've seen. Be sure you are right with God. Thine iniquities have separated between thee and thy God. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. If ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father, which is in heaven, forgive you your trespasses. And this one's important. Let her be, find the mind of God from the word of God. Now, I believe there's really bad theology on both sides on this matter. Some of my deadhead seminary friends believe the only way God speaks to us is through his word. And they think we're charismatic because we say, you know, I was impressed by the Lord that I should do such and such. The Lord put on my heart that I should do this or that. I don't believe that. I've been puzzling over what to do with my schedule today. I probably should get a little rest before tonight. I don't want to miss the prayer time. And I I thought, well, maybe we can get to the motel and I can rest a little before this session. I got a text from my secretary that said, the motel's ready, you can go there. But it came in a little too late. And I was really glad it came in late. I was so glad I got to hear the Gilmore session. The Lord wanted me to hear that. Boy, what a vision-expanding explanation of Scripture. Mm. So I said, well, I, I don't know what I'll do yet. And then I think the Lord gave me clarity. I, I want to stay here for a prayer. I, I want to be here for at least a good chunk of whatever's going to happen next. And I'll skip the dinner. That won't hurt me. <laughs> but I, I wasn't sure to do for a while. I mean, you know, what does God want me to do? Well, one thing I need to do is know the Bible so well that I always know I'm praying in accordance with Bible principle. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it on your lusts. Find the mind of God from the Word of God. The other side, they just get all these spooky pronouncements. God wants you to buy me a catalog. Yeah, and then once you get it, you're supposed to give it to me. (laughs) Find the mind of God from the Word of God. Pray according to God's promise. Brother Flanders and he and his wife are such wonderful church members. I don't get kind and encouraging notes from anybody more than I get them from Tony Flanders. And Brother Flanders, if he's, he may be preaching someplace that he's got to get up real early on Sunday morning to drive to, but he'll be at prayer meeting Saturday night at 11. 
And, and I'll hear him pray like this. Now, Lord, we're just asking you what you told us to ask for. Lord, uh, we know that you want this. You've said this and this. He's not arguing with the Lord. He's not complaining to the Lord. But he's reminding the Lord this is the promise and this is why we're praying like we're praying. Keep praying until God answers your prayer or changes your prayer. Keep praying until God answers your prayer or changes your prayer. We adopted our older daughter, got her from the hospital quicker than if she'd been born to us. The lawyer called us up in the middle of the deal. He said, look, the birth father has not signed off on this. It's time to go to the courthouse and sign the papers. And he said, you know, the birth father has still not signed off on this. You might have trouble later on. Are you sure you want to go through with this? We hadn't sought the adoption. It had come to us. And I looked up, I remember clearly standing outside that courthouse in Gary, Indiana. I looked up at the sky and I said, God, am I doing something you don't want me to do? And at that moment, God gave me peace that it was the right thing to do. I was assured I know it's good to have children. I know that's the normal plan for married peoples to have children and raise them for the glory of God. And sure enough, the birth father's mother actually contested the adoption. And in 1983, I had to borrow $13,000 to pay legal fees. And we had 15 months of back and forth. And I wish I could tell you my faith never wavered. I remember one time I was praying in my study and I said, Lord, I never complained we didn't have children. Why would you give us a little girl now and then take her away from us? And the Lord convicted me. He brought to my mind that passage that I was to pray with thanksgiving. So I thanked him that he had put us on Dr. Hiles' mind when that young lady needed a home for her baby and I thanked him that we'd worked out the legal issues to establish Indiana residency and satisfy the judge and I thanked him that she'd been in our home from the time she left the hospital and and I began to know some of the peace that passed understanding but whenever I we got some bad news along the way and it was a drawn out process we won the first round and then they went and appealed it and the judge we had at first was friendly. He didn't know what you'd get in an appeals court. And, and of course, people mean well, but they're so silly sometimes. And they, they'd come tell us about, well, you know, so-and-so, they had a new child for four years and I had to give it back. Well, thank you. That's, that's a blessing. The lady who watched her a day a week when my wife came to do some secretary work at the church said, well, you know, I noticed the last two weeks I couldn't watch her. I wondered if the Lord's just preparing me to be without her. Yeah, I'm sure he's way more concerned about the babysitter than he is mom and dad. But, but whenever I was worried and concerned and wondered, I'd go back to that time I stood outside the courthouse. And I was willing to do whatever the Lord wanted me to do. And he said, no, no, you go ahead. 
Don Green, I'll say more about their family tonight, the Lord willing, has been pastor of the Parker Memorial Baptist Church in Lansing, Michigan for 55 or 58 years. He probably prays six hours a day. Lists and lists of things and people that he prays for. Don Green's oldest son, Tim, got to live in a worldly life. They were right there by Michigan State University. I think he was taking some classes there. And Don Green got on his face in his office. He said, by the time I was done, I was, my face was in a pool of moisture. And he said, oh God, the devil can't have my son. Oh God, the devil can't have my son. Tim Green's an evangelist. Talked to him yesterday. Had two men weeping come to the altar to be saved in the meeting that he's in. Our friend John Van Gelden is... Wife Mary Lynn, good friends of mine, as they are of yours. And you know they were married for years and didn't have children. Brother Van Gelder was preaching a meeting for Brother Charlie Kittrell, one of the profiles you have on your Heritage Center plaque. They tell me Brother Kittrell was known for praying for people to have children and God would give them children. While they're there, Mary Lynn said, You think I'm asking to pray to have a baby? John said, yeah. So they went and they pray, asked him to pray. But the Kittrell said, I've been praying you'd ask me to do that. And so he prayed for them. And sure enough, within a year, they didn't have a child. And within two years, they didn't have a child. Three years later, Brother Kittrell was preaching at their home church, Ann Arbor Baptist Church, Pastor Gary Hurth. And he announced that the Van Geldrens were going to have a child. And one of the ladies said to Mary Lynn, congratulations. On what? <laughs> well, you're expecting. She said, no, I'm not. <laughs> she checked it out, and yes, she was. <laughs> so that old man of God <laughs> prayed until he had the answer, and then he said, okay, it's going to happen. <laughs> it happened. Dr. John Rice didn't believe in visions, but he had a dream one time, he said. <laughs> He dreamed he went to heaven and he saw all a room full of beautifully wrapped presents. And he said, what are these? And the angel guiding him on the tour of heaven said, these are the gifts that God wanted to give to his children, but they never asked him. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. God, bless in these moments now of turning to you and use these simple thoughts to help us remember that you really want to take care of us. You really want to use us. You really want to show yourself strong. You really want to draw men to yourself. But the promises are not obtained because we have not access them by faith. Help us to do so, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.